You're fed up with the 9 to 5. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from the traditional career but don't know how. Business Breaks is here to help. You're listening to Business Breaks. Today's special guest is Sean Atkinson, the owner of Majority Media LLC. He is a brand and marketing strategy coach and Sean's ultimate goal is to help your business avoid becoming a simple statistic. His love of people and passion for entrepreneurship, branding, and marketing make him the perfect strategy partner to come alongside you and support your biggest business goals. And when you work with Sean, you're not only building a brand, you're establishing a legacy. Sean, welcome to Business Breaks. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. And it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Sean, before we get into our conversation, can you share a bit about bit about yourself and your background, how you, I believe you transitioned from IT to branding and marketing, and what was that journey like for you? Sure. I will, I will take it back to the beginning and then kind of speed through it pretty quickly. I knew pretty early on that I, I had a mind for business because I used to recognize things that uh, I didn't know the name of. I just noticed things. So, for example, when I was a child, we used to get on the train to, to ride into the city. And I would notice that the advertisements, the faces would change, but the brand stayed the same. So in certain neighborhoods, it would go from being one culture to the next culture. And I can remember asking my mother, I was like, well, it's the same poster, but why did they change that? And the thing is, oh, yeah, because we're in a different neighborhood, so they have to talk to them a little bit differently to go, well, why would they do that? And she's like, oh, well, that's advertising. That just, you know, that's how you relate to specific audiences. You have to change things up. So it was just little things like that over the years that that, that gathered my attention. And then I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I just looked at the overall landscape and said, well, I find it all fascinating. I want to learn as much as I can. So I grew up as a kid that was in, in or around the music industry. So I got a chance to really be able to look at advertising and marketing in a way that I guess other people didn't. So as a child where, you know, there were people that saw pop stars and stuff like that, like, oh, they're this, they're this. And I would go to my mother's office and I saw them as regular people. So it was, again, looking at the marketing to go, wow, it's, it's amazing how people are able to frame things and position it in a way to make it something that's great. And then I, I also got to get to know some of them to get an understanding of be mindful of what you create, because if, if or when it takes off, people are going to have expectations. So that kind of took me into understanding positioning and then repositioning and all the different things that come along with it. So yeah, I was kind of destined for marketing and advertising just because I grew up around it. And then as I got older, I got a job in a mall working for a marketing agency where they had people taking surveys. And I was the annoying guy that would come up to someone in a, in a shop and say, Yo, do you have time for a survey? So I learned to be able to take no for an answer. I learned how to be able to read a room. And then I learned that the questions that the people were asking, like why they were asking them and the importance of how to sequence the questions, because sometimes they would give me something and the, the questions that they were asking were out of order. And if I switched the order up when I was talking to someone, then I realized I got further through the survey. So all these little things start to kick in. And then I just started to move further and further into the career as, as I gained an understanding. So I went into the advertising agency side so that I learned what brands want and what the process is for finding 
the right people to be able to work with. And uh, yeah, it just kind of continued on from there. So I worked on just about every different side of the business so that I can learn everything that I could, so that I'd learn the process, the best practices and everything like that. And then uh, my goal was always to start my own business. So when I gathered enough information and I realized I had enough to work with, then it was time for me to be able to go ahead and branch out. And that's what brings us here. Wonderful story, Sean. And yeah, talking to you, it's it's a pleasure really because you have an opinion and it's always a well-informed one and a well-crafted view and holistic actually, <laughs> which is something I aspire to get to coming from a background in finance and back mm -hmm. office optimization. I do feel like I lack that uh, marketing and selling, which is something I'm starting to understand better, but it's still a journey as it were and it's very important one but yeah love that and i love the idea of your first experiences being able to accept that rejection and understand not everyone wants to be questioned <laughs> uh, with a view to understanding well how can you best sell them or serve them shall we say absolutely yeah, yeah i I'd, I'd say one of the most important things to for whether you're in the corporate world or you're an entrepreneur is the importance of learning how to read a room. If you know who your audience is, you can position yourself in a way that's going to allow you to be able to make strides. You can also read a room and be able to tell if you're in some place where there's no real chance for growth. Like you have to be able to evaluate it. Whenever I would interview, as much as they were interviewing me, I was interviewing them. And sometimes the interview started long before I actually started the conversation. I love to get there a little bit early so I can look at the office and how people flow through the office and things like that, because it gives you an idea of, is this a happy place or is this some place where people are just there to make their money? And that gives you a, a pretty good idea of what you're getting yourself in. And the business should have a soul, ideally, and something more. And I, I know I spoke to another guest about mm. purpose, vision, mission, and values, and having how all those must align, and not just within the company, but aligning the company's vision, mission, and values with its people to create that energy. But yeah. It's, it's interesting because you're saying actually use your perception to see if that's there and you get, yeah, it's intelligence, right? And you can frame your decisions around that, mm -hmm. what you sense. Yeah. I can actually give you an example of that. I went to an interview once and I got there and everybody was so busy doing what they were doing that no one came up to me. So I was there for like 15, 20 minutes. Mm. And, you know, most people were like, well, why would you wait that long? And I was like, well, I was looking at the different departments and how people were interacting with each other. When somebody would come and ask them for something, who rolled their eyes and who didn't. Mm -hmm. So it kind of gave me an idea of the office politics. It gave me an idea mm -hmm. of the different departments. So when I went in, because of my background, I was qualified for multiple positions. So it gave me an opportunity to be able to look. And they said, okay, well, you know, you can be a customer service manager things. Oh, no, I just saw those people. They look very unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that one pays. That's okay. That's okay. Not everything is worth the money. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I basically looked in, and I, I sell it on uh, one position that it wasn't a lot of them, but that person looked like they were at peace over in their own corner and just doing what they need to get down. And my thing is, that's the one. What, what, what department is that? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's the account managers. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> so you can't just go in. You want to be able to look and really get a feel for what's going on because sometimes it's, you know, your success has nothing to do with you. Sometimes your success is based on who's in front of you and who's around you. 
and their relationships and the office politics and things like that. You know, it's always tough when you go into a position because sometimes you're, um, if you're the last hire, you're the first fired. And you have to keep that in mind when you're there. You know, you have to be able to show your uh, your relevance, your importance, and your value um, so that when they start looking at, you know, who could go, your name isn't yeah. the first one on the list because it will be the first one on the list as the last hire. Well, we don't really have that same kind of bond with this person. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, that that could go. You could trim some fat. I don't need to be the fat. Yeah, and that's a key thing. And actually very relevant to today's conversation because yeah. when we talk about trimming the fat and being fired, I mean, the most recent topic is in the actual technology industry with the recent tech layoffs, which started last year and have continued to carry on that trend into into this year. I, yeah, yeah. And absolutely, the talking from personal experience, there's an emotional toll around it being laid off, as well as the uncertainty. I think that being said, and I know you, you have a, a strong view on this, mm-hmm. that there is always an upside to every challenge, even even though it may seem like, a, seem like the worst thing that can happen at the time. It might actually, a lot of people, <laughs> and I think I'm quoting you when, when they say, a lot of the time when, when it happens, at the end of it, when they recover, they say it actually was the best thing that happened to yeah. me at the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've got I've got more of those than things where it was just like, well, I just went wrong. Like there was, I, I don't know what the point of it was. Yeah. There's always something in there that you can take from it. And part of that, yeah, is is a great segue into uh, being able to read the room is, is being able to know what kind of company that you're working for. I can say there's different stages that I look at from the corporate side. I look at how often I see a job listed for a company. You know, when you get those those job postings and you see it listed like, okay, well, it was down. I, I was looking at that one, but it looks like they filled the position. And then a few months later, you see it listed again. For me, that's a red flag. So that means somebody went in, looked around and said, oh, no. <laughs> this, this isn't for me. And then they left. And if you notice that a few different times, mm-hmm. That's that's a warning sign for me. But yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've I've learned is each one of those things are a lesson and it tells you what to be able to look for. Like, I didn't know how to read a room until I got fired. For it. it was mm-hmm. like, whoa, how did this happen? And you start yeah. to reevaluate, you start to look and go, well, what, who did they keep and who did they let go? And it's one thing to be let go for something that uh, that you did, because mm-hmm. then it's like, OK, I got to take accountability for it. But being downsized is one of them, one of the most debilitating feelings because you just you you went in it's it's nothing that you did they call you into the office and they say well you know i'm sorry we're gonna have to let you go and and you go to ask why and then they give you some platitude but it's it's not a real answer and then you're left with the rest of your life going okay well i've had all of these things how long did you know about this because if you knew about it you could have given me a heads up so that i could have planned for it better put a little more money aside and and different things. So uh, it, it can be an awful, awful experience uh, for someone that uh, goes in with a true heart and they they believe in the, the business owner's dream and their vision and they want to help them get there. And uh, yeah, it can be tough. It can be really, really tough. Yeah. I mean, there was that trend last year on social media, the crying CEO. Um, and obviously when people are laid off, there's very little sympathy for the leaders who should have been protecting their people ideally. And I mean, it can be a toll on them. Obviously, emotionally, it's difficult, I imagine, especially if you've got large teams. But 
at the end of the day, there's there's practicalities like finances to consider, and they're usually shielded from that implication because they get good bonuses. There's an incentive almost to keep costs down, drive costs down. Whereas the human element is that if you've got outgoings and you're you're stretched for various reasons, you know, you might have kids in college, things like that. And then you have to go home and then think, well, actually, how much how much financial runway do I have? Yeah. How soon do I need to find a job? And, you know, how hard do I need to push to find a job? Will I be able to find another job like the one I had? Yeah. Are my skills relevant? Because over time, to be fair, a lot of employees do get comfortable mm-hmm. and they do settle into a routine. And then suddenly that's disruption right there. Right. And yeah. that can impact a person's mental health significantly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say one of the things that I learned, and it's been a benefit as well as it's well, it's been a blessing and a curse. There are a lot of companies, the way that they the way that they work now is they they hire special. Mm-hmm. So you, it's 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 not as often that people are as well rounded as they used to have to be uh, when I first like came into the industry and for a good stretch. Now they hire people to do specific jobs. And I think it's a handicap for the employees because a lot of these things are they're they're teaching people how to use proprietary systems. So if you're fresh out of college or you've been working for a little bit, but you haven't really made the rounds to really get a feel for your industry, you can go in and they can teach you. You can say, oh, I'm great at doing this. And then when you start the interview, you realize that company is the only one that really uses that. Or there's only maybe five companies that use that technology. And then that really now is the pool of how many different jobs and places that you can interview. And if they have similar products or similar services or, or tech, then they probably know each other. And if they see that you were fired from one place, they're going to either get on LinkedIn or they're going to get on a call and say, what happened there? And you know, this is where having a good manager comes into play because they may not have been able to help you keep your job, but they can help you get another one. But if you're in a situation where it's not something like that, then it makes it even harder. So yeah. it's it's really, really hard when you get laid off and you've got family, you've got all these people that were used to that income coming in, and then you have to have you have to have answers. And you also have to be able to speak to how long you think you can go before you actually have to. Have. And it's a lot to take in, especially if you didn't do anything wrong. Absolutely. And it's hard, really, because, as you say, back in the day, you would have thought to have job security, you would you would aim for being a specialist because you'll focus your niche but now it's becoming more of a gamble with capabilities being more transient product life cycles getting shorter things changing all the time so you have to continuously update your skills and it may be through no fault of your own because your company may not be investing as fast as other businesses as competitors which is possibly part of the reason why they do end up falling behind in the markets but uh, yeah that then you suddenly find you're on the open market mm-hmm. you're trying to apply for jobs and you may have done something very similar but you use the different system yes. it's not the same and you're getting judged by a recruiter and a hiring manager who's mm-hmm. put a job spec out there that doesn't actually you can't tick all the boxes but you know you can do the job better yes. than any other applicant and it's very hard when the ATS will automatically reject you first mm-hmm. before it even gets to someone who's going to do their seven-second scan and say, move, you know, p- possibly, and sorry for sounding controversial, too old 
out of date, irrelevant, you know, those yeah. sort of things. You're going to get judged again. And to be fair, one of the biggest shocks for me was uh, that was me. I was the hiring manager. Suddenly mm -hmm. I'm on the market and I'm applying to 200 jobs. And yeah, it's, it's stressful. Yeah, it's 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 insane. It, 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 it comes full circle. I would say I can answer the question, but I also want to start with the silver lining. And here's how you can work around yeah, that. Sure. Going to these jobs with the view of being a consultant. You know, I've been around and in companies where um, they give you the good sales pitch. They, you know, oh, we're a team. This is a family. There's this, there's that. And when you buy in and you forget your own identity, um, that's the part that really stings. Because you're yeah. like, oh, I mean, I, I thought this was a family. You know, I used to be, uh, and and we talked about this uh, when we originally spoke. Um, I was part of the late night crew, so when everybody else mm -hmm. would go home, I was still there at least two or three hours after because that's when all the r real work gets done. So I was giving well beyond what I was getting paid to do because I cared about the results and I cared about the company. But you know, when you fast forward and you think about all those times where people said, "Let's go out, let's go do something," all the sacrifices that you make, and then you realize I was helping them build their dream. I wasn't focused on mine. You always have to leave something in there for yourself. So as a consultant, you know that you're there for a time, but you know that that time could be limited and then you'll have to go on to the next project. If you go into it with more of that mindset, you can plan for the rainy days and the things that can come up. And then you can also see, as far as reading the room, you can read it better because you're not going in with, well, I'm going to be here forever. Because I can remember when people working at a company for five years seemed like a short amount of time. Like, wow, so you were only there for five years? And now if you stay someplace for two or three years, it seems like. And it's yeah. because the corporate world has changed. Their uh, their bottom line has changed. There's a level of mismanagement from up top because a lot of times people hire for the top and the top doesn't know what's going on below them. Yeah. So if they're not having the conversations and they're not having real conversations, they don't know who is who. And where a lot of companies end up hurting themselves is they get rid of some of the wrong people. Yeah. And then it's really, really hard to replace those people. But to bring it back around, when you're in a position where you're looking and you're trying to find something, this is where having multiple skills kind of pays off because you can be neck and neck with someone else. But when you have that little extra something, we can say, oh yeah, I know how to do this too. Um, when you've researched that company, you can say, okay, well, it seems like they're going in this direction. And I have a little something extra that I can add to that. Um, those are the things that can kind of get you over the edge. So I actually frustrated people when I was uh, still still like trying to work in the corporate world because they would say, I don't know what you do. And I was like, well, all of it's on the uh, resume. And they're like, yeah, but like you can do a bunch of different things. I was like, that should make your job easier, not harder. So yeah. uh, it's like if you get me in front of them where I can have the conversation, then I will I will take care of it and I'll bring it home. I just need you to get me in front of because I'll find out what it is that they're doing. And we can very much have a conversation of, okay, well, where are you trying to go with things? Well, we think we want to do this. Oh yeah, I've done something like that before. Oh, well, and then that takes the conversation out of what they put in a job description, because a lot of times they'll give you a job description, but it very rarely describes the actual work. They're just giving you an ideal of what they want. And that's the struggle because they give an, a hiring manager uh, a job description that actually doesn't describe the job. Like once you get the job, have you ever gone into a job and read the job description? And then after you're there for a little while, they're like, yeah, I mean, we are going to have you doing that. But we're also going to have you do this. And it's like, well, if I had known that, I would have either negotiated more money or I might not have taken this job because I <laughs> don't want to do or 
in some cases you may lock up and there's something that you really do want to do and it's like wow yeah. this is exciting yeah and sometimes there's an element of you know you can deliver more and you go in there with a full intent to deliver more to overwhelm them and all almost over deliver that's kind of a good strategy to please your potential management as well if you want to sort of embed in their minds that oh man this guy is a superstar it, it, can... it can be i i i had a conversation with a friend of mine uh this might have been a couple of months ago but we still talk about the same thing he was saying i need to shine but i can't shine too yeah. those things of the temptation is to go in and show your value like across the board but you can peak too soon you can show them too much and give them too much and then you've just set the bar for the rest of your your, your tenure yeah company and mm -hmm. like well i showed them that i could do this and i well you came in doing all of that why you want to take it away now then it feels almost more offensive so yeah <laughs> somewhat strategic about okay what do you need in this moment yeah now, i know i can do some of these other things that you're going to need in the future but i'm a i'm gonna hold that card yeah. so you know that's what i learned as far as reading the room and knowing i can't give them to and mm -hmm. i i have to be able to be what they need in a moment but then as we get to that next moment then when they're having a the conversation, it's like, okay, well, you know, we want to work on this. You have to, you know, I've done something similar. Have mm -hmm. you? You know, well, well, you know, give us an, and that's where hands-on experience comes in as opposed to sometimes when you're a specialist and they only taught you to do one thing, you're not able to add to that conversation. So I feel like we almost have an obligation to ourselves to learn what they want us to learn, but yeah. know what industry you're in and know what that role means, not just in your company, but in yeah. other companies. Because at some point, and we're at this point, at some point, you're going to interview with another company. Yeah. If you're doing really good at one, you start getting that call at your desk that nobody else is supposed to know about. Uh, hey, mate, I just want to check in with you. You're happy over there? Because if you're not happy, we may be able to find something for you. And I never knew how they find people's numbers. But when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, they figure it out. And they'll start recruiting you to go other places. It's important to know the industry you're in, the role that you're in, and the trajectory of that role. Yeah. Because if you don't know the trajectory of that role or you don't know the industry well, they can teach you how to be good at doing one part of it. But the role overall in the industry is something that constantly evolves and is something that will allow you to be able to work anywhere. And that's what I learned. I, it's actually to people's irritation because I've, I learned how to be able to not have to go in through the HR manager. I know how to go in as a consultant. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's been some jobs where uh, I was only supposed to be there for a few months. And when that time went to run out, they're just like, oh, my God, like uh, we could plug the person, in, plug somebody else in. But I don't think they're going to give us what you gave us. And uh, that's where I would be able to get that job, because sometimes getting past the hiring manager is really, really difficult because they already have somebody in their mind that they want. But is it actually the best person for the job, which kind of goes back to what you were saying of. You can know that you could really do the job well, but if that person that's interviewing you, and I'm most likely talking about the initial first or second person, if they don't mm -hmm. know that job well enough and they're just reading off the job description, you just said the job description doesn't give you all the things that's needed. You actually have to get to the person that knows the job and knows what's needed, and that's when you start to tell them about the extra things that you know how to do, and that will get you to those final interviews and allow you to be able to negotiate because my my strategy is always get past the first two people and speak to the uh, to the job description but when you get to the people that actually do the work then speak to the job and if you know the role and you know the job that person will go well i mean i would have never got a chance to have a conversation with you to know that you can do all these things that aren't in a job description that actually fit the role 
And that's where knowing what the role and the industry is. Um, that's where that comes into play because the people that are reading the job description don't know the nuances in the day to day. But if you know those and you go to interview, then you can drop certain things where they, oh yeah, I did hear somebody talk about that. And yeah, somebody was just working on that the other day. Like, so yeah. they were going at your company? No, no, no. I just know that these are things that need to get done. And then you've just shown them that you have foresight and you can think outside the box and that you can add something to the table because it's something extra that they may be working on or getting ready to work on. And you've already got a certain level of an understanding about it. So don't just work. If you want to stay on that side, learn the role that you're in, the trajectory of it, and learn the industry. When I say trajectory, I mean, I know people that they wanted to get into the industry as far as advertising and marketing, and they didn't know where to enter. And back in the days when I first got in, it was really hard to get in. So you had to figure out ways to be able to get in. For me, one of the things that I said, the trajectory tends to be agency and then public publisher side. And then as you get further on into your industry, uh, into your career, a lot of people end up going out on the brand side because the way that I learned is the agency is the bridge in between the two. So they'll, mm -hmm. the brand is the money. So the brand is going to say, okay, we need to find out more about our audience or we need to roll out this new product. We have goals that we're trying to hit. They'll bring it over to the agent and say, uh, the agency and say, who can help us be able to be able to hit this goal? We want to run a campaign. Okay. So is it going to be a publication? Give us the details and they go out and find that partner. So an agency is the hub that's going to allow you to be able to find all the different things that are out there, the different roles that you may be able to find interesting. And then you look at the trajectory. Okay, well, somebody that starts there, what's the next roll up from there? What's the next roll up from there? What's the next roll up from there? And if you look at somebody, this is why LinkedIn is so important. When you're researching a job, look at who's above you and the tiers above and look at how long they've been in those roles. If they've been in those roles for a long time, if they're not moving up, they might not want you to move up. So you might get a job and never really get to move up unless you leave that company. So if you go into the consultant's mindset, you may say, well, I don't want that job because I'm never going to move up. You may go into that job, learn enough to be able to go over to another one. And then you'll come in with experience as opposed to going in and saying, well, teach me everything I need. Wonderful answer. <laughs> Fascinating. And so much to pick out there. And I don't even know where to start, but um, no, 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 don't apologize. It was amazing. Uh, I think in terms of those thoughts, really, mm. and for someone who might not be at that emotional space when they're thinking, oh, I've just got to get any job, right? But it's so important not just to be a doer, but to be a thinker. And as you mentioned with foresight, to think strategically about, well, how does this serve my overall vision? of the rest of my career right yeah. and that's something people don't think about they're just they may jump into i just need a job and yeah. it's not that's something you miss right yeah. it's suddenly you might if you had the right attitude you might be thinking instead well this is an opportunity to reevaluate where could my career go mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly i have all of these skills I, it, maybe not in the tech sector, maybe I can look at another industry which is missing the skills I have and I can bring something even more valuable to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it's really important to keep in mind, this is not only an opportunity, it, like it's, it's, a, it's, it's disastrous when you, get, when you get laid off, especially if you don't see it coming, but it's also an opportunity. And mm. it's hard to see in the moment, 
especially when you've got bills that are already piled up. Uh, I can give you another example. I know that I worked at a company where they knew that they wanted to get rid of a guy. And instead of just telling him, they they didn't say anything and they just let him kind of sabotage himself and low-key sabotaged him. And mm-hmm. like, I knew what I was looking at and I'm going, well, why wouldn't you just fire the guy? And then, well, I mean, because this cause and we have to figure this out and we have to figure that out. They literally let him go on vacation. So he went on vacation thinking he had a job he was coming back to. And when he came back, they let him go. My thing is, that's that's just awful, because if I knew that you were going to let me go, there's no way in the world I would have went on vacation. I would have put that money aside and said, listen, I need that extra time to be able to go look for something else. And because they don't give that courtesy, it leads people to being a little more desperate. And what happens further on down the line is then you have to answer for those jobs that you took just because you needed that check. So that's why I said, if you go in with the consultant's mindset, you can kind of plan for certain things. And, you know, I, it's it's something that I realized I got to learn really early on. And I realized that some people are coming to it a little bit later. So for me, it's one of those things of it's a little weird because I adapted to this so, so, so <laughs> early that, you know, now people are experiencing more of these layoffs and they're like, oh, my God, what I'm going to do? Like, I've never gone without a job for this long. And that's where side hustles and things like that come in. Like once I realized I was in a very tumultuous industry and at any given point I could not have something, then I started planning for, okay, what else can I do? And this is where I'm saying it's an opportunity because when you're looking at the jobs that you take on, um, what are the things that you can do, not only for a company, but you could do as, an, as, as, a, as a freelancer or a consultant or something where you can still be able to bring that money in. So when people go into these industries and say, oh, I just want to be able to get in. No, no, no. Be a little more strategic about it because the things that you learn, the things that you take on, they not only need to be able to pay you on the corporate side, you need to be able to figure out what you're going to do if that corporation says, we're going to part with you. So if you pick a field or a role and you look at the trajectory of it and say, okay, there's going to be some bumps along the road, but how can I work around that? So for me, when I came in, sales reps and account managers were the same. If you sold it, you managed it and you kept it. So you didn't get to sell BS. It was something where if if you sold something and you weren't able to deliver on it, you were the one that caught the heat for it. Now we're in a different era where the salesperson says whatever they need to say and then they hand it off. So, you know, if you're someone that, you know, you have to know yourself. If you're someone that you don't want to be able to have to be responsible for all those extra things, then you're probably going to want to go on the early side of the sales part. If you are someone that knows how to kind of think on the fly and do damage control and things like that, you're going to want to be on the, the the latter side of the sales process once they've actually become customers and things like that. Now, if I'm a salesperson, then I'm looking at it and going, okay, well, I can give my services to anyone. If they have something to sell and I can show that I can sell it, then in a pinch, I should be okay. What do you do if you're on the uh, post sales? You know, yeah. those are the things that you want to be able to think about. So as an account manager, I honestly think that prepared me more for being an entrepreneur than sales could have. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because the reality is it's a lot easier to be able to maintain a customer after you've you've won them over. It's cheaper, it's more efficient, it's more economical than going after a new person every time. Someone with more sales experience will go, I know how to get them through the door, but do you know how to keep them? So when you're thinking about these roles, you have to think about who you are as a person, where you'll flourish. If you're in a pinch where you don't have anything, is it something that you can monetize and lend your services to? I think that there are a lot of people that underestimate their experience. If you're on the corporate side, there are small business owners out there that are struggling and you have some experience that you can step in and go, listen, 
I'm not asking you for a full salary. I just need to be able to float myself for a little while and I will lend you my services and teach you some of the things that I know how to do that they do on a larger level and show you how to be able to adapt that to your business. And that's pretty much how I started Majority Media. I used to run into people and they would say, oh, you know, well, what do you do? Oh, I'm in advertising. Oh, you're in advertising? Oh, I have so many questions. I always wish that I could do this and I wish I could do that. And then I would go back to the companies and say, well, can um, you know, can we help these people? And they're like, well, what's their budget? How much money do they have? Oh, yeah, no, they don't have enough money. We can't help them. And I mean, for for a long time, I just kind of accepted that. And it, it bugged me. So I would give people little bits of information and things like that to try to help them. But if you don't have somebody actually guiding you through it and saying, here's what they do here, here's how you can customize it to your business, they're not really going to be able to bridge that gap. So uh, to bring it back around, be mindful of the jobs that you take, because if you take something just for the money, later on down the line, when you're doing interviews, they're going to ask, what was that about? And you can say, well, I just did it for the money. But that's also going to tell them things about you. Like, so when you were under pressure, folded a little bit, and you just took something to be able to do that. What would you do if we put you in a pressure situation and we needed something to happen? We needed you to be able to figure out results and all the rest of that. Are you just going to go for the next best thing or are you going to figure out a solution that works overall? And it's messed up, but there are some people that look at it like that and say, so you just kind of gave up and just went with something? And I mean, it's because they might have been in their job for a while. They don't know what it's like to be out in the world where, you know, you can be qualified and still have to go through 200 interviews and 150 of them will make you feel like you you don't know anything. Yeah. It's really hard on the ego and everything else to be able to get through that process. So it's really good if you can prepare yourself and you can go in with that consultant's mind. I let them know when I go into interview. Well, when I was going to interviews, I got to be honest, I'm interviewing you as much as you're interviewing. Yeah. Yeah. And reflecting on what you just said, that was, again really insightful a few things i wanted to pick out because they stick it so top of mind is that disconnect between the salesperson and then the account manager because there's a disconnect between if you don't have the salesperson being the account manager as well then there's going to be the disconnect between making the promises and then upholding those promises as a business which ultimately your brand is your promise right and Therefore, the level of accountability doesn't really tie because there's no squaring that circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you've got the person who's who's committing the company, committing to the customer stuff that maybe they're not aware if they can deliver or worse yet, no, they can't deliver, but they don't care. It's not their problem. They're just oh, handing yeah. off. Oh, yeah. yeah that's- I've worked in many a company, <laughs> many, <laughs> many a company. And um, my workaround for that was, yeah, I'm not going to kill your sale, but I need to make sure you're not saying something that's going to mess me up later. So I need to be on that. Yeah. And I will listen for what their needs are. And then we'll identify which product best serves it. Because sometimes you get salespeople and they're just good at getting on the phone and getting people to give them, get them past the gatekeeper. So they don't know the product. They don't know the service. They don't know the ins and outs of it. They just know how to sell it. And then they'll hand it off. And then the person goes, well, they said you could do this. And they said this. And they said that. And it's like, we can't do any of that. Why would you tell them something like, oh, well, I just need to get the sale, you know, because I had to hit my numbers. And when they base it on those numbers, there were some people that they they don't care about the company. They care about their numbers. Because in the sales world, 
your book of business is how you get your job. Oh, my God. You're thinking Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Always be closing, man. You know, it's like I, I've, I've been you just change. I've been an account manager. I know the difference. I I know. See, well, the difference for me is I've I've been a salesperson and I've seen people that are only that can only do. As an account manager, I've been on the side of, OK, well, you would promise something that, you know, you either can or you can't deliver. And then it's, what do you do in this? So yeah. sometimes I've been in that situation where they promise something. I was like, okay, I gotta be honest with you. You listed 10 things, we can do five. Now, based on what I know from what I've learned about your business, they're the most important, but there's only five out of that 10. And you have to be honest. You you can't continue to just kind of tell that lie and hope that you're gonna be able to get something from it. I've seen companies rebrand and change their their company name because they became so synonymous that when you call and hi, I'm from such and such, click because they call small <laughs> business owners. And you know, yeah. the thing that kills small business owners is you don't know what you don't know. And when people present things to you, they present it to you like this. It's this great option, like yeah. oh, we're going to come in and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And if you don't know the follow up questions to ask, small business owners don't have money to waste. Like that's yeah. their savings, so you can't do that that way. But to bring it back to the corporate side. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I became a solutions architect, a program manager, and a lot of the titles, if somebody looked me up on LinkedIn, they could see towards the end. I was the guy that you brought in with your sales team because I got to the point where I got so frustrated with it that part of my interview process was, so what's your sales team? Because are they going to sell something that can't be delivered? Because if that's the case, I need to go with them when they're doing the sale because we can get them through the door, but you know how people get fired? They look at the bottom line and the salespeople don't affect the bottom line. The account managers do. And I think yeah. that's where people get it confused. A lot of people focus on the sales that come in and that's nice. It's shiny. It looks like something. But what happens when somebody realizes they've been sold a bit of goods and and you can't deliver? They leave. So that money that you thought you had, you don't have. Yeah. So this is where I, I look at the hiring and firing and I always find it fascinating. Well, it tells me a lot about a company based on who they let go when they start downsizing. If it was me, I would sooner get rid of the salesperson than the accountant. Because if your product and your services are good, um, you can tweak your 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 onboarding and your and your customer journey. What you can't fix on the back end is what you're actually doing. If you can deliver, you're fine. If you're selling air, you're gonna have more churn and you're gonna have more people coming through. You're never gonna hit that bottom line, which means you're always gonna be worried about money. Which means chances are anyone that works there, you're going to have a high rotation of people that come and go because it's a very stressful situation to be someplace where you're always trying to hit your numbers. And I mean, you know how it goes on corporate. You work really hard to get this ridiculous number that they set. And then the next year they say, yeah, we want to double that. Wait, <laughs> Did you forget how hard it was to hit the number the first time? And now you want to nah. double yeah. the same product, right? Yeah. Well, oh, that means we have to go out to, you know, at least three or four, 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 four times as many people to hit those numbers. So it's it's unfortunate, but I think the hiring and firing has gotten lost because some of the people that they're hiring as HR don't know the work, don't know the company, and don't know the job. They just know what they read. And really qualified people don't make their way into interviews. And in the end, it ends up being the undoing of the company. So as crushing as it is when you get those no's, Look at how often they post those jobs. If, if, if you're really looking for a little, it's not me, it's them. Look how often they post those jobs. Look how often, like, look at what they're doing because people that hire badly don't last. Yeah. And yeah, I was actually tapped up a couple of years ago by a tech company. Mm. I'm not going to make it, mention any names. It was 
by the way. Uh, <laughs> well, cut that out. But, and you know, the the salary was good, the compensation, but for whatever reason, I just read a whole load of bad stuff about what they do. Uh, it was like a documentary as well on and I thought, well, do I really want to work for this type of organization? I'm a customer. I love their services. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the way they treat their people, I thought, mm, oh, yeah, that's brutal. You know, it's like, oh, God. Yeah. And sorry, I'm kind of going off on a tangent. No, 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 no. This is this is conversational. Like anything yeah. you talk about, we can we can go through. So feel free to speak. Yeah. Free. Thank you. I want to go back one bit and then come back to something you just said, which was around people chasing money which is not really the smart play if you want to be strategic you should be chasing skills and experiences in order to make yourself relevant and keep yourself sustainably relevant yeah um so that was one piece of it and then coming back to what you said and i think where i want to go with it which is where i think you're going with it anyway is that Mm. if a company is laying off people and they cut too fast and too deep and in the wrong areas, it's like, what are you going to be doing to your business? And do you really understand your business? Because as you say, if you if you kill your salespeople, you may be affecting top line growth. Not the end of the world, not great, but not the end of the world. But if you kill your account managers, what you're doing is you're destroying your customer lifetime value, potentially. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You mentioned churn, and if your if your stable customers, which you've already committed cost to acquiring and building those relationships over time, if they start leaving, you're in trouble as a business. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, my grandmother told me a story when I was a kid of a dog walking across a railroad track, and the dog saw another dog down by the water, fishing a bone out of the water, and the dog up up on the railroad tracks was walking with a bo- with a bone. It already had a bone. But it saw that dog down there getting ready to fish that bone out, and it barked at it because it decided it wanted that bone. Yeah, that bone fell out of the dog's mouth on the railroad track. The dog down there fishing the the bone out got his bone, looked up, shook his head, and walked away. <laughs> the The moral that my my grandmother was telling us was, you know, sometimes you have everything that you need. Stop being so busy worried about what somebody else has or what else you can add, and pay attention to what you actually have now. So for the people that are constantly chasing sales. Yes, you can add to the bottom line, but if you don't take care of your current customers, there is no bottom. Like you'll bring people in, but if you don't hold on to them, you never actually hit those numbers. You never make the money that you're supposed to make. So that's why I look at companies and I look at the practices. I look at who they covet and who they give special treatment to and stuff like that. And a lot of times it will be sales because, you know, they see the money coming in. But I've also looked at being part of that late night crew and, and managers coming through and going, well, why are you still here? Well, I mean, you know, that, that data boy you gave them for selling that, um, I'm going to have to deliver that. <laughs> so I know that they're not always the most, for, the most forthright. So I got to actually go back and look at the notes to see what they said to, so I can see how much we can actually deliver and I can reposition and reset the tone for everything to make sure this customer has a lifetime value of this. We're bringing them in at this rate. I need to make sure that they'll not only maintain that, but if Mm -hmm. I'm an account manager where they have numbers that I have to hit, that I need to be able to make sure that I can build on that that book of business. Mm -hmm. Is there a... mm -hmm. Sorry. No, no. Sorry. Oh, no, no. I I disrupted your flow. Apologies for that. No, 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 no. Yeah. 
Um, I can go on, so you have to stop me. No worries. It's just something jumped in my head in terms of because I'm I'm going through an analytics transformation, okay. and a lot of it is very much top line focused uh, in terms of customers. What type of discounts you get? Analyzing all of that, analyzing the channels, analyzing logistics, throughput, payment performance, and you, you just think about it in that way in terms of well, what what is the most optimal bundle of products and services I could sell to a customer and then think about, well, what did the salesman promise that we have to do over and above that optimal bundle and commit to mm-hmm. that drives costs on the back end? And then ideally, is there a way to kind of hold the salesman accountable through analysis or is it that systems don't have that? And as you say, it's just a question of account managers holding notes on a database that unless you're actually deliberately and manually going through that, you wouldn't be able to make that connection and join the dots between, well, actually, here it is. Because also, when you allocate costs, I mean, as an ex-management accountant, you know it's all arbitrary. It's based on drivers that may or may not actually be relevant. What's really relevant is the contract. And unfortunately, yes. contracts are written in a way yes. that digitally capture the data that would say, well, these are the real drivers and this is what's happened. Absolutely. You need an extra couple of account managers for this one customer because they're they're high maintenance, for example. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, if I'm thinking about books of business, I will take it back to when I was interviewing. I want to say sometimes... When I was interviewing people's book of business, if you said you had like 50 clients, it was just like, wow, how did you manage it? I used to manage like 150 clients. Like it was a ridiculous <laughs> number of clients, but the way I learned how to be able to do it is again, read the room. I knew which clients needed more handholding. I knew which ones just were more on just be timely. And then I knew which ones they were like, just get it done. And it's similar to, uh, to being a business owner and entrepreneur now is there's some people that have more money than time and the people with more money than time, they don't want to do any of the work. They just want you to take care of it. Like I'm outsourcing it to you so I don't have to think. It allows me to focus on all these other things that I need to do that will allow me to be successful with the business versus people that have more time than money. And they want to, in some cases, micromanage. In other cases, they want you to teach them the process so they can figure out how to be able to be more economical. One of the reasons, and I mean, I know there's salespeople out there like, oh, this guy, like, how can he say that? The reason that I say that I lean more into account management being valuable and customer support and and those roles are those are the people that speak to the people. You know, those are the people that, well, I'll, I'll, let's just break it down to the bottom line. Going back to the contracts, some people have net 30, some people have net 60, some people have net 90. Um, yeah, they sold it. But if you can't deliver within those first 90 days, if it's a net 90 or whenever they set it for uh, payment, you haven't actually earned any of that. You haven't gotten that money. You have to be able to deliver. And if they sold them on something that there's no way you're going to be able to do that, and you set it for 60 or 90 days out that they get to get your product for free that whole time, you've given away free product. You've given them a look behind the curtain. You've given them all the information they need to go out and trash you. Versus somebody that's on the account management side, when they do their job properly, they bring in referrals. So if you're doing your job really, really well, that's why I'm saying if you've got a really good product and you've got a really good team on the back end, um, you can kind of manage not bring in new sales because then you spend less time on marketing to new customers and you focus on your existing customers and you get them to be able to do referrals. 
a lot of small business owners, solopreneurs, side hustle businesses, a lot of them thrive or exist on referrals. And it's the same thing with logic. It's just, you know, you hear more about, well, how do we hit the, how do we double our number? How do I, how do we hit our goals? Well, it starts with making sure that you don't lose them. And that's where the account management and the back end team comes in. That's where hiring smart comes in. So where they may go, well, we don't need this hiring manager. You know, we can just do this. We can do that. No, if you, the really good ones know how to pick people out of the crowd and they find the right people that come in and have the right mentality and they build that team. Well, that's second family because you spend more time sometimes in the office and things like that than you do it. So true. In terms of getting that right team, it's also important to protect them, make sure they're not overextending themselves because it could be a vicious cycle. If they're too successful, coming back to your yes. point about being strategic on expectation management, if you keep over delivering, you just set a bar that means you're stretching out people. There's a risk of burnout. There's a risk of overcommitment. There's a risk of, you know, being undervalued as well. And then when layoffs, you think, well, salespeople are doing all the work because they're bringing in all the money. Let's just get yeah. rid of a few people from the account management side yeah. and we're good, you know? Yeah, and I don't I don't want to just say like account management. There are so many roles that are on the, yeah. on the back end of things or earlier in the process, like the product team. There are people yeah. that, that tend to get cut that uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. If, yeah. if you've got a manager that isn't honest and they're just worried about protecting their job and they're thinking, well, two of them equals one of me. So we might need yeah. to get rid of two of them just so I can have my job. You could get rid of the wrong people and realize, you know, the best managers hire people that are smarter than that. You know, make me look good. Like if you if you do your job well, then I look good. And, you know, that's one of the things that that it's a big difference between sales and account management. My job as an account manager was to make the person who was my point of contact look good. I always need to make sure that I put them in the best light versus a salesperson. These days, you can kind of sell and hand it off. And yeah, you may run into them at, at an industry thing, but like for the most part, you don't even talk to those people. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's things like that. So it's 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 an interesting time. And uh, you can tell who's hiring wisely because they, they have a lot of retention you can tell by people's stability, their company's stability of, you know, year over year, they're, they're consistent. You can tell by who they're hiring. Or just whenever you want to learn about a company, one of the best places to look is their job board. If they're publicly listing things, look at who they're hiring and look at how often mm -hmm. they're hiring them. And if you take the time to read, like this is one of the things that I do for, for like the smaller client, the smaller businesses, solopreneurs and stuff. I look at who the competitors are. And then I do my own research, the same research I would do on the corporate side to go, let me find out a little bit about them so I can get a, at least an idea. And then you work on the things that they're good at. And you say, well, am I just as good at that? No. Uh, okay, well, then I'm going to talk about the things that they aren't as good at. And I'm going to use those as a differentiator to say, well, yes, you could go with them, but you could also go, go with me because I can do these things. If these things matter to you more than that, then I'm your guy. And it's the yeah. same thing with interviews. It's the same. You have to think of yourself as a business and as a as a consultant, if you will. Like whatever title you want to be able to give. If you go into it with that mentality, look at who's sitting in there interviewing. Look at you know how many applicants you see. Because now I think I looked at LinkedIn because I was pointing something out to a friend. She was trying to figure out how to work with corporations, and I I, I was giving her basically the same advice just from a different angle. You know, look at who who they're hiring. Look at the roles. And it will give you an idea of where they feel like they need. And that's one of the first things to look at. And then you look at, okay, how often do they have those jobs? How many applicants are they getting? All of these things tell a story. 
And if you're trying to get a job and you look at, okay, well, I'm seeing, you know, for this role, there's like seven applicants. For this one, there's like 30. I need to look into that. Like, why are more people interviewing for that one and less people interviewing for this one? And I'd look at the company profile. Okay, who is above that role that you're hiring for? Oh, they've been there for like 10 years in that same role. They've never yeah. gone. They've never done anything. I may get that job, but I'll never rise in the ranks of that job unless I switch over to a different department. How often does it seem like people switch departments? You can look and see, well, they started in this role, but then they switched over to this department. Oh, okay. So they're flexible. But if they're not, and it's just, you started on this trajectory, you stay on this trajectory, that's a check. That's not a career. Yeah. Makes sense? Completely. You just blew my mind because I've never thought of looking at using LinkedIn in that way to do the research. It's obvious, but it's not something that's naturally intuitive, but there's a lot of data in there. And you, if you want to do the research, and it comes back to that mindset, you're thinking, if you're just thinking, I want a job, then you're not going to do much more than a cursory glance at what jobs are there and how many people have applied for them. But if you think deeper, you think who's the hiring manager, who's above the hiring manager, who's above that hiring manager. And how often do they rotate within their positions? And if you see their 10 years between positions of five to 10 years, you know, well, it's not really a dynamic business. So if you feel like you're looking for a fast upward trajectory, don't look here. And again, maybe you, you might be best served if you have the energy, perhaps a startup with someone who's a serial entrepreneur who may even offer equity again it depends on your your circumstances and uh, although i think the uh, days of tech startups and unicorns and easy funded on easy money are mm. kind of gone but yeah. it may be yeah it may be then the trend should be around as you say focusing on being a consultant because you have to have that mindset anyway and be a solo business and just sell your expertise in the right way and to the right people who are willing to pay for it and who would value it more than perhaps an employer would. Yeah. The reason that I go with that is because I've seen so many layoffs. Like this is not mm -hmm. my first, like, ra you know, rash wave of layoffs. I, I made it through the dot-com era and so many different versions of this that, you know, I, I learned to read the tea leaves. And one of the things that I looked at was know what jobs you're getting for a check and know what jobs you're getting for. If I know that I'm getting a job for a check, I'm not trying to get comfortable. I know that I'm there for a time. I'm there to fill, you know, a, a certain goal or whatever responsibility. It may be for me, I'm going in to pick up a skill set. And while I'm yeah. gaining that skill set, I'm, this is the quid pro quo. I'm learning how to do something that is going to be more valuable to me industry-wise than it is for me to be in that role. So I'm picking people's reins. I've worked places where people are like, you're in this department, but you're always over there talking to these people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Because I don't know what you're doing. So the way I got to a point where sometimes you'll have these these bigger meetings on the larger projects and they'll have different teams in a room. I wanted to be able to go into a room and not have somebody sit in the corner talking about, I don't know why. So I learned their jobs like ad ops. I learned ad ops. Like I did some of the work so I knew how to be able to do it. And I learned that they're the most forgotten person in some of these advertising marketing. When they're running campaigns, it's like, okay, but well, we sold it. We got everything right. Good. Okay. And then they think the job's done. No, somebody has to manage that campaign and make sure that everything works well. So, you know, I knew, you know, whatever they're, they're praising the salespeople, my thing is, what's your favorite drink? And the ops is like, people don't even talk to me. Why are you asking me that? Well, I just want to have for my stuff. So at the end of this campaign, you know, if it's a drink, if it's something like, let me know. And I got you at the end of this. 
you know, so for some people, it was a, their favorite bottle. For some people, it was taking them out to lunch. Other people, it was a gift certificate. I paid attention to who was helping move things along and made my life easier. And in doing so, it put me in a position where I learned more, more of the different roles. I learned the trajectory of, okay, if I need to get in and the salesperson's like, oh, well, I sold this, but they're saying they need to push this back. I'm going into some of these sales meetings and I'm looking at the, the ad ops person over there and they're focusing on the CEO and this person and this person and their titles. And I'm looking at the ad ops person they're over there, basically looking at their nails, like not, nothing moves until I say it moves. So yeah. it's these, there are people with the titles, but they don't have the power. Yeah. So I'm always looking at it from, you know, from a consultant standpoint, the reason I like consulting standpoint and looking at it that way is you don't go in thinking I'm going to be here for 10 years. If you can position yourself in a way where um, your services are something that transcend just that job, if you're in a pinch, like look at how many small businesses there are out there. There's worldwide, I'm going to say there's probably, I don't want to overestimate it, but hundreds of thousands of jobs or hundreds, hundreds and thousands of businesses are started every year. If you know something on a corporate level that somebody can actually benefit from on a smaller level, if you're ever trying to just, you know, continue down the path of, I just need to have some money come in. If you're yeah. it from a consultant standpoint, you can say, listen, I'm good at finance. Um, as an entrepreneur, I'm guessing you don't like to do that. Part. You just want to work on on doing this. How about I step in and I'll take some of that work off your plate and I'm only going to charge you this one. You just went from not having a job and being desperate and going, well, I got to just get something to thinking like a consultant and being able to go to a smaller company or just adjacent to something and going, you know what? I can help out over here, get a little bit of money. And then this way, when I start interviewing for these jobs, I'm not doing it from a point of desperation. I'm doing it from a point of I'm interviewing you and you're interviewing me. What's the trajectory? You can start asking the tougher questions. You feel more comfortable negotiating your salary. You're coming in more from a position of power and not I've got bills that like I'm going to be working for the first couple of months before I even get to keep any. I don't know how many people know about that, but I know about that. I've been looking long enough that, you know, you don't want to borrow money because if you borrow money, then, you know, when you get the job, you got to pay those people. Oh, so you're working now, you know? You can't, if you, if you borrowed money from somebody and you have any kind of shame, you can't be out celebrating or spending that money and you didn't pay those people back. <laughs> Especially if they're friends, it's like, okay, so you needed money. I gave you money and now we're hanging out and you're talking about, oh yeah, let me get another this and another that. Uh, bro. <laughs> so like, yeah. you have to think about those things going, you don't want to go into a position, uh, go into interviews or anything like that from an act of desperation. If you can position yourself so that you can have some sort of stream, whether it's just you doing freelancing or anything like that. If you think about it like that, and you think about the fact that most people stay in a job for maybe two or three years, with everything going on in the industry, you can do that two or three years and then be out for six months. What are you gonna do for that six months? Yeah. When you're thinking about what career you're gonna go into, and you're like, well, I just wanna get into the industry. I'm looking at, okay, what can I do here and get paid over there if this doesn't work out? So as an account manager, my thing is, okay, well, you know, you wanna grow your business, Who's managing the accounts to make sure that everybody's happy? Who's following up? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? Well, I mean, I kind of do it, but I'm busy because I'm doing all the work. Okay, well, how about I follow up with them? And when I follow up with them, I'll pull together some case studies for you. I'll find out what they liked about the process. Some of the things that you might not be thinking about, like you said the product was good for this, but they're using it for this. Did you even know mm -hmm. that was the use case? Because that mm -hmm. use case may be more profitable than the one that you have. So mm -hmm. for an account manager that has uh, advertising and marketing background, I'm going to be able to go over to a small business and say, listen, I'm looking at your business and these are some of the things that I notice. 
I can help with those. Well, I don't really have a lot of money. Listen, I don't have any. <laughs> so right now, <laughs> you and and you can help me. And then you know we'll do a four stint. You don't have to have you know you don't have to make this a long term commitment. What happens if you do that with four or five jobs? You know what I mean? On the corporate world, your book of business, you're probably working with at least ten to fifteen. So it's not like you can't do the workload. Now, when you go on the interview, if you know you've got 10 to 15 small businesses that you work with and you're going into something and they say, well, can you handle a book of business of like 20 clients? Well, I got 15 right now. Wait, 15. Well, well, how? This is what I'm doing. So then it's one of those things of, okay, so if you're in a situation and it's a pressure situation, you're telling me you've already figured out how you're going to pull yourself out of a pressure situation. So it means chances are you might be able to pull us out of one that makes you more attractive. And it also you're in a position of power. So when they're saying, well, how much do you want to make? Well, right now well, I'm clearing this much. I'm going to need you to at least match that. They can't really lowball you the same way. It's just so many things that you can do with it that, yeah, I picked up on that. And I've worked at some jobs where my check was late because I went with a small, uh, small company and the check was late and everybody was in there griping and like, why are you okay? like, you don't seem upset. Yeah. I got my own side coming in. So <laughs> if they me a check, I'm not going to be late with my check. I've covered my expenses over there. And this was like, in that job, that was about me getting the skill set so that I could parlay that in. So when you go for a check, do it strategically. When you're going for your, for like a career job, know the trajectory. And if you can go into those with those two mindsets, then you put yourself in a better position to, you can't stop from getting fired and going through the, the rough experience, but you can prepare yourself for it and you can negotiate some things on your way in and on your way out. If you've been doing things like, let's let's go back full circle, where you said, sometimes you wanna go in and be able to show your best, so you give them all of these things, and they know that you're the only person that can do that. I'm getting a package on my way out of leaving that company. Okay, so you wanna downsize me? I'm guessing you're gonna need me to be able to teach all these other people how to do what I was doing, because I was the only one that knew how to do. Hmm. I'm, I'm negotiating on my way in, and I'm negotiating on my way out. You know who does, who does stuff like that? Consultant. Like, I'm, you're going to need me to train you or whoever else it is that's going to be there after this contract ends. I'm going to need to be mm -hmm. compensated for that. A lot of times what happens is they'll they'll have you training somebody and they won't tell you that they, they're getting ready to get rid of you. They'll just start saying, yeah, it'd be great if you can show such and such how to do some of that. As soon as I start hearing something like that, I'm, I'm looking around going, well, if I'm the only one that does it, why would I show somebody else how to do it? And if I do, um, it's okay. I'll show them how to do it. But there's still going to be a little couple of, a, a few pieces that I keep for myself. So on the way out, they're like, yeah, well, we got all that figured out. Okay. And then, you know, when you get a little closer to leaving or shortly after, if they're still holding up the money or something like that, now you've got a bargaining. Well, you trained us on how to do all of that stuff. Yeah. I gave you an SOP. There's certain things that I know how to do that have nothing to do with that. I'm going to need an exit package. I'm going to need to be compensated for a month or two because uh, you're going to make that money back in my absence and I need to be compensated for that time. You can't say that if they're just calling you into the room and you don't have a leg to stand on. But if you went in with a consulting mindset and you knew like, listen, this is a company that I going in, it's a check. They may fire. I, I see that they get rid of people. I'm not going in thinking I'm not going to be fired. I'm thinking I could be on them. So I'm going to make myself valuable as possible. And then I'm also going to keep certain things that only I know how to do. So that either I get to keep the job or on my way out, I get to negotiate my package to say, you're going to need somebody to train them. My consulting fee <laughs> for training is. <laughs> yeah. And that makes sense. Brilliant strategy. Thanks, so Sean. I, I know you, you, you mentioned people were struggling and I want to give some of the strategies that I use to be able yeah. to bridge that gap. And those are a few different ways where um, you can either negotiate a better package on your way out because sometimes they'll just let you go and say, listen, um, you're going to get two weeks. You might not even get that. Sometimes it depends on the industry and what they're doing, but 
you need to be able to negotiate on your way in and on your way out. And if you think about that, always keep a little something that you can negotiate with because not everybody's going to do you right. I'm going to say the last job I had, they had like some loyalty rewards thing or something like that. Uh, but the name that they had, it was so ironic. It was, it was something where it was like, we're rewarding you for being a good employee. And then I got downsized and I said, well, what about that? Cause there was money in that. Oh, you don't, you, you, that's only for, for the employees to go. So I did all that work and I got all that, you know, the, the congratulations and you can cash that in to get gift certificates and all the rest of that. And now you tell me I can't get it. I, I can't get any of it. Well, that's for employees. And I was like, yeah, but I was an employee. So, I mean, they come up with all these weird things that when they start cutting back on money, they will start looking for all the ways they can cut back. And all these things where sometimes employees will think, well, I'm on their vision board and they ask me about my dreams and, and they pull it all up on the wall. And they do. sometimes they're asking you about those things so they can tell how to be able to hold you by the short hair. I'm mindful yeah. of what I tell people too, because, oh, so you got a kid on the way. Oh, that sounds like you'd be scared to quit if something happened. Depending on the company you work for, they use all of that to their advantage. You should be using all of that to your advantage as well. Yeah, it's a cynical world, unfortunately, but you have to be prepared to defend yourself and protect yourself and your interests ultimately because people who are listening, would some of them will have families that they need to support as well. So you have to be... It's, yeah. it's tough going home and having to explain why they have to do without. And then they would say, well, what happened? And you can't even give them a good reason because you didn't do anything wrong. They just felt like we can't make the money that we thought we were going to make. So the way we're going to make it is to cut back on salary so that we can show the board or whatever that we hit that number. And the thing is, they're going to look at the number. If, if a company is basing everything on numbers and they're not basing it on, on the, the people that they have helping them get the numbers, that's a check. Yeah. And checks come and go. So you have to know that where it's like, okay, I'm, I, I hear them talk a lot about the bottom line. I don't hear them saying where they're doing anything to help people further their careers. You know, some people say, oh, well, yeah, you can get training and we'll we'll pay for the training. That's a good situation. That's something that prepares you for your career. But if you say, I'm going to be able to take this and they don't match it or something like that, again, that's more of a check. So you have to look at what's what's going to be just something that pays me, that allows me to pay my bills and what's going to allow me to be able to further my career uh, or enhance my uh, my knowledge base. And those are the things where sometimes I'll take a pay cut to go into a job like that because I know what I'll do with it, as opposed to going to getting that check, where it's like, well, I'll go make that, but that's all I'll make. Because I already looked and I see the supervisor, you've been there for 10 years, you're not going anywhere. You've been there for five years and you haven't moved up or anything. Chances are I'm at where I'm at, that's the check I'm gonna get, and maybe they'll give me that little percentage bump if I do well. But as soon as my numbers don't do well, it could be a problem. In some cases, it still doesn't even matter, because I've been let go of a job where I was an account manager and I outsold 95% of the sales team. And I, and when I was brought in for my review, they still had something negative to say. And my thing is, I created I created uh, services. I met my numbers. My numbers beat the sales team. I don't understand how I'm in here and I'm not getting my money. And it was because they were trying to, you know, hold on to the money. And they knew if they paid me now, they would have to give me a title bump and everything else. So there's all these other things that you have to think about. So when you say, well, why would they do something like that? There's the business side of that. And I, I would say one of the places where I learned it the most was the music industry. So I love music, but the business side of music made me want to never work with the music industry because mm -hmm. I got, you know, my love of music is like, you know, it's, it touches people in ways. And when you realize that there's really good artists and stuff that never got to come out because they decided that this person was going to be easier or this person knew this person. So I'm going to push them or I'm going to push the person that is actually talented. 
when you see the business side of things, it changes you. So you can be a little jaded without becoming completely jaded. You just have to go into it with the eyes of this is business. And mm -hmm. I have to think about what serves me as much as I'm helping them achieve their goals. I need to be making sure that I'm achieving my consultant yeah. mindset. Yeah. And with that consulting mindset, you manage your own expectations to actually what, what you're actually going to get. You don't think, oh, I've got a job for life. Oh, they're going to protect me. They're going to take care of me. Doesn't happen. A great manager or a great team, you can do great things. But if somebody higher up or something happens in the industry where it where they requires a pivot, you can become either obsolete or, or a problem. So yeah, at the end of the day, they have a business to be able to run. And one of the things that I think is, is hard for people transitioning from an employee to being a business owner is you really get to see that side of things. Like mm. I had all these great ideas and things that we could do as an employee. And then when it came time to being a business owner, I was like, oh, those things cost. And, the, and there's this and there's this and there's this. So yeah. it, it gave me a better appreciation for what they have to go through. So as much as I'm getting on them, I think that there's some really good companies out there. I think it's important to find those and speak on those. Um, and not just the ones that put out great marketing where they yeah. show diversity or they show that they're doing this or they're doing that because behind the scenes, they'll get the accolades. And when they started doing some of these layoffs, there were a whole bunch of people that were talking about the diversity hires, but never mentioned that they fired the people. Yeah. And they're still getting the credit for it. So it's a business and you have to think like like it's a business. You have to negotiate and and put yourself in the best possible position because at the end of the day, they're looking at the bottom line and you need to be looking at your bottom line. Do I want to go home and have to explain to somebody why I didn't plan for this when I knew I was going in and it was just a check? That's on you. You know what I mean? So it's it's a tough lesson. Like I've I've thankfully have some people around me that will tell me like, nah, that was on you. So you went in that knowing it was just a check? So why'd you get comfortable? So what else did you get out of it? Like you went into it. So what did you do with that money? Did you use that money to start your business? Did you use that money to do this? Like, what is your long-term vision? Like zoom out so that you can look at the whole board and then zoom back in and be focused on what you're doing. So uh, hopefully some of these things uh, help some people. I know how... Oh man, uh, I know how how daunting and how overwhelming it can be where you go out and you do these interviews and some you don't even hear back from and then some you get the email response, you're like, oh, and you go to get excited and then you see they're like, yeah, we're going in a different direction. Like, I, I would almost rather you didn't say anything because, you know, so it's just, it's it's such a yeah. awful, awful place to be. As much as I work with entrepreneurs on the corporate side, I'd love to be able to, or at least hope that this helps give some of those people their power back and allows them yeah. to be able to move in a way that uh, don't be depressed. Don't, don't be beat up. Yeah. Do a little research while you, while you're going in. And for each phase of those interviews, know who you're talking to. Cause mm -hmm. sometimes that first person, they're very, Oh, I went to this college and I, I did this and I did that. Um, I'm doing my research. Okay. So that's the first person I'm talking to. Don't don't review. I mean, don't just do your investigation on the company. Look at who you're speaking to. Automatically, yeah. when uh, when we were on the corporate side, whenever we were going to have a meeting with somebody, if we didn't know them and we didn't know somebody that knew them that would give us the inside, we would get on LinkedIn and try to look at the history. I look at what school they went to. I look at the places they work. Do I know anybody that's in that? Something that I could grip when we're in that conversation to help them lower their guard so we can have the conversation about what's not on this, the job description, what's not on that piece of paper. Because end of the day, you can know your job, but if you're not a good fit with the office politics, the culture and all the rest of that, you're not going to last. Yeah. And those are the things you need to th think about that are intangible, but 
absolutely critical to how your experience as an employee would be in a new job. Just get that uh, reconnaissance and research up front. And when you do the research in your own way, you can dictate the terms of your whole employment. Like if you go into it knowing, okay, well, this is just a check. All right, well, what am I doing in my downtime? Well, in my downtime, I'm trying to pick up this skill set so I can get over to this way. Or yeah. if I'm going to use this as a check, then I'm going to use this to pay down the bills so that I have a down, um, so that I, I have a, a, you know, a money set aside. So if, if or when this happens, I've been saving, I haven't been spending. I put a little mm-hmm. something aside because this is a check and checks in. So when, when if or when it comes down to downsizing, oh, I've been putting money aside for a little while. So when I go into uh, to interviewing the next time, I'm not doing it from a uh, from a place of desperation. I'm doing it from a, I know what I bring to the table. What can you do for me? And the higher you start to move up and the more you can go into that conversation, there's some people that, I mean, and if I'm honest, let me not just make it sound like it's just all rosy. There are going to be some jobs where you'll go in and you'll have done that research and all the rest of that, and it will cost you the job because you're asking smart questions that they're like, ooh, if you're asking these questions, you're pulling out a thread that's going to have us bare naked in no time, and you're going to realize this is a place you don't want to be. Well, it paid you to do training and all the rest of that. And then you'll leave to go get a better job. You'll come here for like three months, six months, whatever it is, use that time to interview and then go someplace else. I've, I've seen it happen. It, it was actually hilarious. I worked at a job where uh, they interviewed a guy. They thought they would get in something. And I was technically his manager. And they would tell him, oh, yeah, you don't have to listen to him. Oh, yeah, you don't have to do this. And I went back to my manager. I'm like, I assigned him working. He's telling me he doesn't have to do it. He's going to this person's meeting. And that's not even his sales rep. What's going on? Oh, well, I mean, okay. I, once they did that, I was like, okay, so my title doesn't mean anything. I'm going to I'm gonna need you guys to put a package so I can get out of here. I got my nice little stipend and left. And then that person, he got them to pay for him to, uh, to move him to San Francisco. And then he quit. And I heard that. And I was just like, this is what I'm talking. I, I knew when I was looking, I'm like, he's not trying to do any real work. I've asked him things and he didn't know what we were talking about. So he, he interviewed well to get in. And then once he got over to San Francisco, he realized, oh, there's better jobs out here. And I didn't have to pay the expenses. They they paid for my move. They paid for everything. That guy is a genius. I Like some people were mad at him. I'm like, oh, no. Like he went in knowing what his goal was and he got what he He's played the system like a pro. So they are going to work you. Make sure that you get your, you know, your slice of pie. Yeah. But do it on, at a level you're comfortable at because that yeah, guy, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I wouldn't I, do that. Yeah. Don't, don't. I'm from New York. I've got to be a certain level of cutthroat. Uh, Here yeah. the population is, and I, well, I have a New York mindset of there are so many people here. Um, there's at least 10 to 20 people that are waiting in line behind me to get anything that I have. And that's my mentality of, okay, there's people that want what I have. Uh, how long am I going to hold on to it? If it's something that I want, then, you know, I'm going to dig in and I'll make sure that I have it and all the rest of that. But if it's something where it can be taken from me, I can't get attached. So my mindset is different. Don't go by me. I'm savage. Like, <laughs> I've been <laughs> I've been jaded so far over the years. I started working in advertising when I was, like, when I was doing the surveys and all the rest of that. So I've seen so much. I've been in rooms where, where, the, where the decisions are being made. And when you see how cutthroat it actually is, it, it, it toughened my skin up to the point where it's like, okay... All right. Well, I'll give you an example to 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 kind of back up what you're saying. I wasn't good for the corporate world because I knew what it take to. I know what it takes to be able to do something. I'm just there's certain people I'm not willing to take it. So like yeah. if it's small businesses and stuff where I know it's going to hurt somebody, I'm not doing that. So when they're in the room and they're like, yeah, well, we're going to get them to give us the money and we know we'll probably push them back a little bit because we want to prioritize this client. 
And I'm saying, well, that client that you want to prioritize isn't going to miss that money. But this one is. Why can't we just push their stuff through real quick? Oh, well, it's going to take extra time. And da, 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 da. I'm going to take care of them and I'll make sure that I take care of them. If I do that, are we good? And that's how you build up those relationships and all the rest of that. Don't underestimate the power of uh, doing the right thing because yeah. doing the right thing is remembered by people. And when they leave one company, they go to another company and that can actually help you when you're uh, when you're interviewing and things like that. That's where that account management mindset of my job is to make you look good. I used to tell them when I, I'm, I'm your representative in this company, the same way you're my representative in your company. So uh, I my job is to give you everything that you need. So when you go to your manager, you can not only look good with the information that we gave you, but I'm going to give you a little bit of extra information so that when they ask a follow-up question, you look like you got everything figured out. They, you know, For the most part, they love me for that. So when they moved on to someplace else, my account management numbers look good because, oh, yeah, he took care of me. He helped me get that promotion that I got. So now I'm over at this position when they're like, oh, yeah, we're trying to get into this company, but we don't have any ends. You look on your LinkedIn, realize they moved over there and reach out to that person and say, listen, I got, I'm over here at this company now and they're trying to uh, get in there. Can you put in a good word? I don't need you to do much. I just need to get the meeting. And if you get the meeting, just leave the rest to me. And between the salesperson and me being able to literally describe, this is what the whole process is going to be. This is what you can expect. If I can give you everything before you give the money and you know what to expect, you're more likely to be able to give that money. So for the businesses where you're working someplace, if you're on the account management side and they don't have somebody going with a salesperson, ask them if you can go out on a call. And if you can show your value by answering the questions that they're going to say, well, what's this process and what happens after this? All of a sudden you become more valuable. And they're like, oh, well, I want you in the office to be able to work on this. If you were able to close a sale and then you help them hold on to clients, now you're an account manager that is way more valuable. To and you get to the clients on the way in to make your life easier once they actually do come. Fantastic. Thank you, Sean. I mean, we're getting close to the end of the podcast, but there's been so many insights and I hope for our listeners, I'm sure I, I certainly got a lot of value out of it and I'm not even on the market, but, uh, but I hope for the people who are impacted by any form of layoff or who are about to be impacted, I hope this gave you some food for thought and also some optimism for the future because yes. everyone has value. Everyone does. Yes. And thank you. And speaking of value, Sean, you've provided a huge amount of value. Just to wrap up, a couple of final questions. Do you have any projects you're currently working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yes, I'm, I'm actually working on a workshop that will help walk people through positioning. And based on this conversation, I would say it's not just important for entrepreneurs, but for people that are on the corporate side. Like you have to know. Mm -hmm how to position yourself, how to be able to provide the proper level of context. And positioning is something we use in our everyday life. It's just not something that people think about. Like if you know that you've got to give somebody bad news, you're going to think about how you put that before you say it. If you've got good news and you want to surprise someone and you know they love surprises, you're going to figure out a way to be able to put it in the right position. Positioning is really just the art of standing right in the view of somebody that you want to be seen by. So Originally, I was saying, you know, it's, it's great for entrepreneurs and people that have their business. But in this conversation, I wasn't even thinking about the other side of it. There is struggles in interviewing. And if you don't know how to position yourself properly, you'll have a rough go of it. I know I have. I had to learn. And it's one of those things where as I started to learn, I started to leverage my abilities and my and my value uh, because, mm -hmm. you know, people are going to pay for perceived value. Mm -hmm. And, you know, depending on where you're from and, and where you are in your business journey, 
um, one of the things that you can do to be able to increase that uh, perceived value is to add all the fundamentals. If you've got the baseline, you can work anywhere. So like I said, figure out what the role is, what the trajectory is that you want to be in, uh, and then learn that role. Like you don't even have to be doing it. Learn the role. Learn. Look at some of the people that have the role. Look at the posts and things that they're talking about. Look at what some of the companies are talking about. So when you go in, you can have a genuine conversation and make them look up from the resume and talk to you. And if you can do that, you put yourself in a better position to be able to get back into a job. And, you know, it's really explaining, I understand what you do, but here's how I can bring value to what you do and allow you to be able to get here. And if you can position yourself that way, you you kind of separate yourself from the other people that are being in. So I think my lasting thing would be find a way to tell a story that makes them look up from the resume. As always, brilliant advice. And last question. Thank you, Sean. Where's the best place to connect with you? Sure. I would say LinkedIn is where I, I spend a little more time now. So majority media on LinkedIn or Sean M. Atkinson on LinkedIn. And yeah, those, those are going to be the best to find me. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all under majority media. And yeah, I'm, I'm here. One of the things that I like to do is share information. If they, anyone's following me on LinkedIn, they'll see these little post daily reminders of positive vibes because I think all of that matters. Uh, you never know when somebody's having a bad day and one little thing can turn it around. So yeah, if you're just looking for good energy and a good vibe, you can follow me there. And beyond that, if you have questions, feel free to ask. I can't take the knowledge with me. Brilliant, Sean. And thank you. You've shared so much. I will make sure that the links are in the show notes. Uh, Sean, it's been a wonderful conversation. And for our listeners, you've been listening to Sean Atkinson. Thank you very much, Sean. Take it easy. This podcast shares experiences and insights gained from business, IT, and digital finance. Hosted by two leaders who have made the leap themselves, this show is dedicated to helping listeners think differently about their career aspirations.